You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focus on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep communities strong. Plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning, as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. I've got a confession to make, a really bad confession. I find myself in two places at once today. Currently, while I'm speaking to you and the rest of Australia, here in downtown Melbourne, 3CR Community Radio is having its yearly radio fun. And it's my duty, that's right, duty, to try to raise $15,000 for 3CR. So I'm in another studio trying to raise that money and I'm not going to bother you with the ins and outs of uh, Radiophone here at 3CR in Melbourne but I will encourage you to donate to your local radio station. Obviously uh, local radio station anywhere across Australia that are broadcast in the anarchist world this week need your support. They are community radio stations. You wouldn't uh, see you wouldn't hear the uh, Anarchist World this week on the Government Guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media, and it's only community radio through the Community Radio Network, which gives me the opportunity to speak to you regarding issues. Now, there is a problem today. Obviously, I can't be in two places at one, and I do take my radiophone responsibilities very seriously. So I've had to predate this program. Is the word predate? So I may not be up to date with current events, so the program may be a bit more general, not as specific as usual, but I'm sure you will put up with it for one week. So what's anarchy? Well, it's not what you hear. It's not chaos. The concept of anarchy is a simple concept. It's existed since time immemorial. It's about people organising themselves without rulers, because the word anarchos means without rulers. 
So if we go back to first principles, it doesn't matter the type of government you have. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, as we see around the world on a daily basis, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's Yemen, whether it's West Papua. We can actually see how inequalities in power can be manipulated to suit the interests of a small minority, and we can see what happens when wealth is uh, centralised in the hands of a small minority. Sticks to the hand. Let's use a, a nicer word. Sticks to the hands of a small minority. I mean, the situation in Australia is a classical example of what happens. Here we have 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent, and we have one third of the population living on social security benefits of less than $500 a week. Not a pleasant thought for that one third of the population. We have one million children living in poverty. We have private charities which raise money to send Australian children to public schools which are theoretically publicly funded because there's not enough money in the public education sector because most a lot of the resources flow into the private education sector. So as you can see, inequalities in power and wealth are real. Whether they occur in the United States or Russia or Australia or Yemen or Burindi, they are real. And the anarchist struggle is a struggle which attempts to share power and hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. So there's nothing radical about it. There's nothing bad about it. Now, people wonder, why do people automatically assume if there are no gods or masters that people are going to murder, rape and steal from each other, you know, on a colossal scale, because there's no order? Now, the reality is that anarchy is order and government is chaos. Now, I can see that you've fallen off your seats as I repeat this again. Anarchy is order, government is chaos. Because, see, government at all levels relies on equalities in power. And what gives a state the ability to impose its will on its population is its monopoly on the use of violence. Its monopoly, and that monopoly is enforced through police, armed forces, laws, courts. So it's that monopoly on the use of violence which allows a sovereign nation state to function without taking the taking note of the needs of the people they govern. So the anarchist struggle is a simple struggle, the struggle to share power and wealth. It's something I'm sure most of the listeners to the anarchist world this week, wherever you are in Australia, have been involved in over a lifetime. And that's the key. We're not about, you know, revolution tomorrow. We're not about gradual change. We're about seizing the moment. There are particular moments in, his, in history which allow people with ideas that are similar to ours, equality of power and wealth, to find ourselves in a situation where we are able to remove rulers from the equation. And we see this to some degree in North East Syria currently, where the autonomous administration of North and East Syria is involved in a bold experiment, which has been repeated often in the past, where they are trying to function without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. So this is the situation we find ourselves in 2022. Now, this struggle is an ongoing struggle. It continues ad nauseum, generation after generation after generation after generation. Now, I may wax a little bit lyrical today 
because as I said before, this program has been pre-recorded because of my commitments to the 3CR Radiophone in Melbourne, where I'm trying to raise $15,000 for the local uh, radio station during the Radiophone. Now, the issue is that if you are listening to this program on a local community radio station, most community radio stations run on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, most of the people in that in those stations are volunteers. Most of them put in hours and hours and hours of unpaid work into ensuring that that particular station that you're listening to, you listen to the Anarchist World this week, to continues to function year after year after year. Now, if you don't rely on government grants or corporate sponsors or advertising or religious uh, donations, what that means is that these radio stations are part and parcel of a capitalist society, so they do have certain costs that need to be met and certain regulations and laws that need to be followed. And if you are a regular listener to community radio, I encourage you very strongly to contact the station manager at uh, the particular radio station you're listening to and see if they need any assistance. If you've got no money, it doesn't really matter because sometimes what they need is volunteers, people to do certain tasks in the radio station to keep the radio, that radio station on air. And that's what it's about. It's about volunteering your time, your labour, your ideas. That's what community radio is all about. Now, I think a, a lot of people have forgotten or have never known where community radio came from. Well, in the dim, dark ages when I was a young man, the Whitlam Labor government was elected into power in 1972. And their major issue they had is just as as dominant as this today, but a bit more dominant because of the lack of social media. Their major problem was the domination of the legacy media of the political agenda of the day. And in an attempt to break the monopoly, the the Murdoch media and the Packer media and other media corporate media outlets had on media in this country, the Whitlam-led Labor government issued a number of community radio licences and the station I broadcast from, Community Radio 3CR, uh, got its licence in uh, 1976 and I began broadcasting mid-1977 and have been lucky enough uh, to have been able to broadcast not just to Victoria but the rest of Australia since that time. That's where local radio stations came from. And it was about giving the community power. It was about allowing people to put forward viewpoints which normally would not be heard in the legacy media. I don't call them the mainstream media. We're the mainstream media. And I'll tell you why community radio is the mainstream media. Because community radio raises issues long before they are encompassed by the general population. It's community radio, not the government guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media or the legacy media, the print media, or social media, which determines directions movements take. If you've been listening to community radio, I was involved in 1974 in a campaign for self-managed energy systems. And we understood what the climate emergency was in the 70s. And it's taken 35 to 40 years for the rest of the society to catch up as the temperature increases and their feet get a little bit warm. When it comes to issues like gender equality, again, it was community media, 
community radio especially, which began to raise these issues decades ago and then it took decades for these ideas to become commonplace in the community at large. The same with this country's First Nations people's desires to be recognised in the Constitution and to be compensated for their losses and for the evolution of processes via which treaties can be put in place between different nation states and the central government in this country. So again, it's community radio which sets the agenda for the rest of the population. And they set the agenda because the way community radio is organised gives it the ability to allow people with viewpoints which may not be acceptable at a particular point in time to be broadcast into the stratosphere. To be broadcast, and that's the key, broadcast. Not selectively cast, but broadcast. And that's the beauty. It's not about sectional interests. It's about being able to broadcast a variety of ideas and opinions to the general community. And that's what community radio has is all about. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, what's the point of community radio during the time of social media? Well, there are a billion Facebook pages... There are hundreds of millions of web pages. And the fact is, because, you know, you can elucidate an opinion, you know, in in social media that somehow it has the same coverage and reach as broadcasting. It doesn't. I'll give you an example. For the last two years, I've been doing a YouTube presentation about 20 to 25 minutes every every week on, on a YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, I'd be lucky to get 50, 60, maybe 70 views. That's right, and I've got about 300 subscribers. Now, it's not through lack of effort. The fact is that YouTube presentations are a dime a dozen. There's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of YouTube presentations which people can access every day. So in many ways, it's a, it's a selective media where you actually talk to the, in the majority of cases, the converted Radio is a little bit different, and podcasts, which is part of community radio, are a little bit different also, because you have a wider audience, the capacity to reach a wider audience. For example, the Anarchist World this week is broadcast across Australia by the community radio network from the stations of 3CR in Melbourne. And I'm very grateful. For the last, I think, about 20 years, it has been broadcast And the 152 community radio stations affiliated with Community Radio 3CR do have the opportunity to pick up the Anarchist World This Week and a number of other 3CR programs. Obviously, the Anarchist World This Week isn't heard on 152 community radio stations. It's heard on a small number of radio stations, anywhere between 10 to 20, depending on the particular period and time. But what this does it gives people the opportunity to listen to ideas they may not have originally thought about. And that's what change is about. Before you can have any effective change, you have to have ideas. And before the community can accept ideas, they need to understand what these ideas are about. So as I keep saying, I'm broadcasting on Community Radio 3CR and I'm talking to you because this program is pre-recorded. I'm talking to you around Australia. And I cannot under-emphasise 
the importance of community radio in this country. Now, obviously, there are some radio stations which are not affiliated to the community radio network, independent community radio stations, and they broadcast to a specific uh, audience. Now, the Anarchist World this week is heard on some of these radio stations also. So it does give us a broader reach than just broadcasting to one section of the community. Whether we are able to compete with the government guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media is a different proposition. Obviously, we can't. We don't have the resources. The ABC has a billion dollars a year, around a billion dollars a year. The corporate-owned media relies on advertising. Now, most radio, community radio stations rely on their listeners to support them. Some may have some government contracts. Some may have some government uh, assistance. Some may do some advertising. But the community radio station I broadcast from, Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, which I'm familiar with, does not rely on government contracts, although it has some government contracts as far as ethnic programs are concerned. It relies on listener sponsors. It relies on affiliation fees because it's a federation of organisations and the Anarchist Media Institute, which is part of the 3CR federation, is just one of about 30 groups which are part of the federation. The fact that you're listening to community radio, the fact that you're listening to a podcast of the Anarchist World this week, the fact that you're listening to the Anarchist World this week somewhere in Australia, it could be Tasmania or the Northern Territory or West Australia, New South Wales, South Australia, you name it, you can listen to the Anarchist World this week, highlights the importance of community radio. So if there's one thing I would like to emphasise during the 3CR Radiophone week is the fact that three that community radio ultimately relies on its listenership becoming involved, not just financially, although helping financially is a big help, but in terms of providing volunteer labour to keep the radio station continuing to broadcast. Let's move on. Now, one of the favourite subjects I've been interested in for a long time, which I'd like to expound on today is the concept of constitutional change. Now, constitutional change is now currently in the air because of the First Nations' push through the Uluru from the heart from a a constitutionally recognised organisation that can provide advice to the Parliament regarding Indigenous issues. Now, a lot of people think that we have constitutional protections in this country. And I think they'd be very surprised if they looked at the current constitution at how few protections the individual enjoys from the arbitrary exercise of state power. When it comes to constitutional protections, Australia has the least number of protections in the developing world. And this is for a very good reason. When the Australian Constitution was drawn up in the late 19th century before federation, each and every state had to vote to federate. And in order for federation to occur, the Constitution was watered down. So the protections the individual enjoys, the United States Constitution and other constitutions around the world, were removed for a specific reason, to have this bland, boring Constitution which basically regulates the relationship between the central government, which is the federal government, and the states. And we saw the state exercise a lot of their power 
during the recent COVID-19 mandates. Not that I had any issues with mandates. Those of people who listen to this program regularly know that I have, one, I have no issue being a doctor for over 45 years. I have no issue with mandates regarding protection of public health. And public health is about for the many, it's not for the few. It's about protecting the many. So constitutionally, what do we have? Now let's go through this step by step by step because it's like the definition of anarchism. What we like to do is look at the foundation stone. So what is the Australian Constitution all about? Now there are two protections in the Australian Constitution, only two, irrespective of how you think. Now a lot of people have a lot of opinions regarding the Australian Constitution but I'm moulding my opinions on decisions which are made by the High Court. And explain the way it works. We live in a federation of states which have given some power to a central government, the federal government. Not all powers, but some powers. They've given the power of taxation to the central government, which is a, a you know, pretty specific and important power. Now, the only way the Australian Constitution can be changed is through a referendum. And the only people who can call a referendum are those that enjoy a majority in both Houses of Parliament because they craft the question regarding the the constitutional change. And no wonder 90% of referendums have failed in this country because most referendums are about centralising power in the central in the federal government. So it's only the government of the day with support in the Senate which can actually put a question to the Australian people. So that shuts down any possibility of significant constitutional reform in this country because there is no mechanism apart from revolution and the suspension of the Australian Constitution for constitutional change to occur apart from federal parliament initiating that constitutional change. Obviously, you can be involved in activities and protests to actually push federal parliament in a particular direction to hold a referendum, as we've seen with this country's First Nations people and a voice to parliament. So, But that's a critical failing in our constitution. We have a mechanism which does not allow change. Now, once a question is put to the Australian people, then we've got the problem that inequalities in wealth determine which side of the argument gets the best and the most airing in the public realm. So if you've got a few billionaires who pop in a few hundred million dollars to push a particular viewpoint during a referendum, it's quite likely that they will be able to convince people to you know, vote in a particular way. So we don't have any constitutional arrangements which say only so much can be spent by each side on this particular question, uh, an equal amount, so that there is an equal competition. So again, there is no equal competition in terms of the debate surrounding a referendum and possible constitutional change. That's one problem. The next problem is who interprets the constitution? Well, the High Court interprets the constitution. Now, a lot of people think that High Court judges are immune from political debate. High court judges are appointed 
by the government of the day. They're not joint appointees being the government of the opposition. The public has no role in the appointment of High Court judges. And it's highly likely that when a High Court judge is appointed, as we've seen over the years in a particular political uh, time frame, because they have to retire at the age of 70, what actually happens is that the government in power appoints a High Court judge to interpret the Constitution who has a similar ideological bent to them. And this happens over and over again. So one of the perks of government is not just the fact that you can pass legislation and change what's happening in society, and one of the other perks of government is you can appoint judges at the High Court as well as the Federal Court federally, and this gives you the opportunity to have a lasting impact on society. So we've got the High Court judges, seven High Court judges, who job is to interpret the Constitution, which was adopted on the 1st of January 1901. That's right, 122 years ago, 1st of January 1901. So I said before, constitutional change is difficult. Not only is there issues regarding how the question is written, as we saw in 1999 with the Constitution, with the uh, plebiscite uh, regarding uh, becoming a, um, a republic in this country, but the problem is that you need a majority of voters in a majority of states to actually pass constitutional change. So again, that's another hurdle. So the first hurdle is the interpretation by the High Court. The next hurdle is the reluctance of governments to give up power through referendums. The third hurdle is the fact that referendums, the way the question is framed, depends on who's the government of the day. The fourth hurdle is there's inequality in terms of promoting both arguments during a uh, constitutional campaign. And the last re- hurdle is is the fact that you need a majority of members and a major- majority of electors and a majority of states to incorporate constitutional change. Now, theoretically, this was enshrined to protect the Australian people, but practically what it means is that we are still dealing, 122 years later, with a constitution which was enacted in 1901, which has no protections for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. Now, that is a big, big statement. No protection from the arbitrary exercise of state power. What does that mean? Well, it means that in Australia, the government of the day can pass any legislation at any time it likes, if it has a majority in both houses of parliament, which can restrict or remove any so-called liberties we enjoy. When 20 years ago, the High Court of Australia was asked to determine whether there was freedom of speech in Australia, the High Court found there was an implied right to freedom of speech because we had elections, and that implied right only occurred during an election campaign, from the period the writs were issued to the period the election was held. Now, we may think we enjoy constitutional rights to freedom of speech, but we don't enjoy constitutional rights to freedom of speech. The next one is people think they are protected from arbitrary arrest, and we're not. Because the High Court has shown over and over again that the constitutional arrangements we have in place allow the government of the day to pass legislation that restricts people's movements, that it restricts their associations, and that 
has a propound, profound impact on day-to-day lives and it's all kosher. It's okay. It's in the Constitution. And there's no wriggle room to find some implied right of association or, you know, you know, freedom of speech and the list goes on and on. So there's very little wriggle room interpreting. And this we saw recently with the spate of cases regarding the eligibility of electors, Australian citizens, people born in this country, to stand as candidates in elections because of Section, I think it's 44 of the Australian Constitution, which somehow is designed to ensure that we continue to have a bland Anglo-Saxon representation in Parliament, which makes it very difficult for people whose parents came from another part of the world, although they were born in this country, to stand for federal parliament without going through a whole heap of uh, hurdles, jumping over a whole heap of hurdles. So there are many, many, many problems as far as the Australian Constitution is concerned. But the major problem which has been highlighted over the last 40 years is the fact that public institutions, which are created by the federal government to provide necessary essential services for the Australian people, do not belong to the Australian people. These public institutions belong to the government of the day. That's a very important difference because that means if a government has a black hole in its budget or budget forecasts, it can sell any public asset. And the worst case I can think of is the sale of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories in the 1990s by the Keating-led Labor government for, I think, about $2.74 a share, and those shares are now over $300. But only that, by selling the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, which was established in 1911, that's right, 1911, to provide essential vaccinations to Australians, what that meant is when the COVID-19 crisis hit, there was no local manufacturing and we had to rely on imports of, of uh, vaccines in order to deal with that particular crisis. Now, we've seen, this, we've seen this currently with gas supplies. Oil, gas, energy production was a preserve of state and federal government. Today, we've seen most energy production now become privatised. And the huge difficulties we are having addressing the climate emergency are due to the fact that we're dealing with a privatised system which is providing essential services to the Australian people. And this privatisation, this privatised system needs to make a profit in order to survive. So there are many major issues as far as the Constitution is concerned. I think one of the most heinous constitutional failings is the fact that the High Court has found the Commonwealth of Australia has the power constitutional power to hold asylum seekers and refugees indefinitely without charges being laid. In this case case came to the court about 20 years ago when an asylum seeker who'd been in detention for over 11 years got his appeal to the High Court and the High Court found that the, the constitutional arrangements we currently had allowed the government to exercise that power. So theoretically... If the both houses of parliament believe that two-year-old blue-eyed children need to be segregated because they were the spawn of the devil and put that proposition to the Australian people in a referendum and the Australian people supported that uh, proposal, then the constitutional changes would occur which would allow that to happen. 
because there is no arbitrary protection of the individual under the Australian Constitution. No arbitrary protection from the, you know, from the, from the state. None whatsoever. You can be legally swept up off the street because you inadvertently may have information that may assist the authorities in their investigations. You can be held prisoner for seven days. If you refuse to answer questions, you know, there's no right to silence. If you refuse to answer questions, you can be jailed for up to seven years. And if you tell anybody that you've actually been apprehended by the government for seven days, when you're released, if you're released, well, then you can be jailed for another five years. That's an extraordinary situation. For example, under current federal legislation, under the Building Commission, members of the CFMMEU, that's the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime Energy Unions, have less constitutional protection than a drug dealer who's imported a billion dollars of cocaine. A drug dealer who's imported a billion dollars of cocaine under the current legislative arrangements has the right to silence. A CFMMEU member who attends a stop work meeting and is called before the commission uh, to uh, discuss the situation, who refuses to answer questions, can be jailed for up to seven years. It's the law. Obviously, very few building workers have contested it, but it's the law. Now, a lot of people think that we are somehow different to Russia and China. We're somehow different. Workers have the right to remove their labour in order to improve their condition. That's the right to strike. Well, legislation has been passed in this country in the last 20 years or 30 years, which has made striking illegal outside enterprise bargaining agreement periods. And even during that period, the Fair Work Commission can order workers back to work, although they voted to withdraw their labour for a limited amount of time. So we've got this ridiculous situation in this country where we're told we've got freedom of speech, freedom of association, that we have the freedom to withdraw our labour, when in reality we have none of these freedoms, not even implied in the majority of cases. None of these freedoms. This gives the government of the day extraordinary power. In order to address this, you would have to include a Bill of Rights in the Australian Constitution which would require a referendum. There is no government which is willing currently to go down that path. So we continue to be oppressed by a constitution. Now, a lot of people, and this is the, fun, this is the fascinating thing about living in this country, a lot of people don't even understand that we have constitutional arrangements which determine which laws can be passed. And many people look blankly at you when you talk about the Australian Constitution, the High Court, because they have no understanding, because there has been very little effort has been made to politicise Australians regarding the current legal arrangements, what can and cannot be legislated for and against. Very little. I think it's a great failing of the Australian political system. Let's move on. Now, this is another favourite topic of mine. As I said before, I'm currently, this program has been pre-recorded. I'm not up to date with what's happening in the world today. Maybe the world has ended. Maybe nobody's listening to this uh, pre-recorded program. Who knows what happens in 2022? But the reality is that we live in Australia and we have 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. I will repeat it again. 
we have 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. The problem in Australia isn't the size of the cake. We have a very nice cake because we have a limited population and massive natural resources. I know a lot of people say, oh, we can't fit another person into the country. That's a lot of garbage. We can fit millions into the country. There are different ways of approaching this issue. But the issue is, what do we do regarding the cake? How do we divide the cake? I'll give you another example, which I've been repeating ad nauseum now for a few weeks or a few months. Bangladesh. I've never been to Bangladesh. I'd like to go to Bangladesh. Most likely I'll never get to Bangladesh. 170 million people living on a floodplain, two-thirds the size of Victoria. Great inequality. Great inequality in that country. Now the ish and they, and they, to our chagrin and shame, have taken a million, a million Rohingya refugees from Myanmar in the last three years. A million. While we quibble about a few thousand and a few hundred that are still in detention nine years after they're detained for the heinous crime of attempting to obtain asylum in this country, and we're told by both major political parties they'll never, 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 never be resettled in this country. So we have this major issue. They have a major issue. They've got a lot of people on a small piece of land which is not very productive and the cake isn't very big. So the shares that people enjoy are quite small. We've got the other problem. We have a large cake, a small population, but we insist on increasing inequality in this country. I'll give you a few examples. I don't need to make this up because this is the stuff which is freely available to people. 30 to 40 years ago, if you're an investor and you invested a dollar and you made a profit, 66% of that profit would go to the workers who created that profit and 33% would go to the, the investor. 30 to 40 years later, the equation has been turned on its head. If you're an investor and you make a profit, 66% goes into your pocket and 33% goes to the pocket of the workers who actually created that profit for you because it's not money. I mean, I can get a billion dollars and put it in a room and look at it. It's not going to do anything, is it? It's not going to keep me warm. I can't eat it. I can't have sex with it. It's just I can sit on it and that's about it and defecate on it, but that's about it. I mean, it's basically an exchange mechanism at the end of the day. I give you this, and this is my promise that this is worth something because I'm such a important, you know, centralised source of power. You know, so it's a big issue, big issue that we face on a daily basis. The fact that the slices are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. For example, one percent of the population owns forty percent of the wealth. So you've got a nice fat cake, and you cut out forty percent. And you give it to one percent of the pop. You give it to one person. All right. Let's say there's a hundred people living in Australia. Let's make this simple. You got a hundred people living in Australia. You got a nice big fat round cake because of all the resources we have in this country, and the small, relatively small population. You cut out forty percent. That's almost half the cake, and you give it to one person. Then, you cut out an, a third of the cake. And you give it to 90 people. You like that? 90 people. 
So a third of the cake divided into 90, you don't get very much. And then the rest, the other 30%, you give to about nine or ten people. That's the way wealth is distributed in this country. And it's not distributed in this country because the 1% that enjoy 40% of the country's wealth are hard workers or intelligent or have sacrificed themselves. In the majority of cases, their wealth has come from inherited wealth or for investments. That's where their wealth has come from, not from individual labour. I mean, you can work very hard all your life, put in lots of hours to survive and still be part of the working poor in this country. And you can be born on the right side of the blanket and you can be exceptionally rich and enjoy the best education money can buy, the best healthcare money can buy, the best goods and services money can buy and you can work your butt off, which many people do in this country. At the end of the day, you've got nothing to put away and you're thankful that you've actually paid your bills for that month. That's the reality. So that's something I also like to raise. It's not just an anarchist issue, it's a, it's a human issue. It's an issue that we all should be addressing, but we're not. And why don't we address the issue? We don't address the issue of inequality in this country because we're essentially a depoliticised society. Most people have no understanding of the constitutional arrangements. Most people have no understanding of where power lies. And there are so many distractions in the 21st century that most people have no interest in retaking back the decision-making processes and working collectively and constructively in order to resolve the problems we face as a community. Because we're not part of a community. We are four disparate groups. 1% own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. 8% have enough disposable income at the end of the week to invest money and create money through their investments. That's why people say 10% of Australians or 12% of Australians own two homes because they're investors. But they've got that disposable income. So you've got the 1%, you've got the 9%. Then you've got about, about 50% who basically work to pay their bills pay the rent, pay the mortgage, have a holiday, buy a car, you know, or pay off a car, go out, have a takeaway pizza, enjoy themselves. But at the end of the week, that 50% has nothing, or 50 to 60% has nothing to show except what's in the toilet bowl, right, to be crude. And then we have 30 to 35% of the population you know, who are not even part of the nation. They live a hand-to-mouth existence. And if there is one little hiccup in their lives that week, they find themselves they've got to give up food or there's issues regarding rent and the list goes on and on. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous that we live in this resource-rich country and we find ourselves in a situation where we have four classes. Those that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communications, investment class, working class and social security class. They're the four classes. I don't see class divisions in terms of blue-collar worker, white-collar worker. I don't see 
class divisions in terms of employed and unemployed. I see class divisions in terms of ability to have disposable income. It's disposable income which gives you power in a capitalist society, in a capitalist society with no constitutional protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And that's the situation we find ourselves in today, in 2022. We have no protection from the arbitrary exercise of state power. Let's move on to another topic which I've kind of been interested in in the last year or so, and it's an important topic because slowly but surely, Australians are being dragged into a proxy war. There is nothing more distressing to see what's happening in the Ukraine and Yemen and parts of Syria today, where we have proxy wars going on, where local populations are being sacrificed on the altar of superpowers. In Yemen, it's the United States and Saudi Arabia facing off Iran. And it's the Yemeni people who over the last five years have suffered some of the most horrific atrocities, although their atrocities don't seem to gain the same amount of publicity in the West than the, the atrocities that are occurring in the Ukraine. So this proxy war, largely conducted by air in the Yemen, with a civilian population are the major casualties. 90% of all casualties in modern warfare are civilians. Then we've got the situation in the Ukraine, which again I describe as a proxy war. This is a proxy war between Russia and the West, led by the United States of America. In the period where the Ukrainians could have entered negotiations with the Russians who were concerned about their own security, they were goaded into entering a proxy war. This is a proxy war with a difference. This is a proxy war where people are sacrificed and the allies of one side refuse to confront Russia because it's a nuclear-armed power. They don't want a world war. So from the word go, Ukrainians have basically been used as disposable commodities, sacrificed, For what? And my concern is not just for the Ukraine and the Yemen and parts of Syria, but my concern is for Australia. Because slowly we are being dragged into a proxy war between China and the United States. The war that's happening in Ukraine will basically sap the energy of the Russian state and will ensure the Russian state no longer continues to be a major threat to US interests around the world. But the Chinese pose threats to US interests around the world, increasing threats to US interests. And what we've seen is the threat increases for the United States of America that Australia has become a pivotal partner in this conflict. Not only have we sent planes and ships to the South China Seas, not only have we formulated new treaty alliances with the United States and other superpowers in our region. Not only have we entered armaments contracts with the United States military-industrial complex, not only do we have US bases on this country and an expanding role for those US bases on this country, not only do we have increasing number of US troops in this country 
And with the adoption of nuclear submarines, we now find ourselves in the nuclear arena, whether we like it or not. So Australia is in a very, 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 very dangerous situation. Where if we continue to bark up this tree, that we may find ourselves the centre of a proxy war in the South Pacific, a war nobody wants. And it's a real issue. Although most people, when I speak about this, kind of look at me and their eyes glaze over and I think I'm some type of alien. The fact is, it's becoming a very real issue and the Chinese are seeing this as a real issue and that's why they're moving down into the Pacific to try to formulate alliances with our neighbours. Because for far too long, we have refused to engage with our Pacific neighbours because we're concerned that they'll come and live in this country. It's that simple. Very simple. So we have this ridiculous situation where, unlike Indonesia, which is not taking sides in this proxy war, we have taken sides because we think that America, the United States of America, will protect us if there is conflict with China. We will be protected because we are their major ally. Now, the history of US intervention in the last... 100 years, or in the last 50 to 60 years, is the history of failure. The history of US intervention in Vietnam saw the United States withdraw from South Vietnam and leave the South Vietnam authorities at the mercy of the North Northern Communist forces who overran the country in 75. We saw in Afghanistan, after a 20-year flirtation, with corrupt elements within Afghan society, that when it came push to shove, 70,000, that's right, 70,000 poorly armed Taliban fighters were able to take over the whole of Afghanistan, which had a standing army of more than 300,000 in less than a week. And it was the United States' major issue attempting to extricate itself from that situation. Now, obviously, the United States never had any intention of assisting those Afghans that had, for a period of time, believed in the rhetoric of freedom and freedom of association and freedom of assembly and freedom of speech and the ability to be educated, and the list goes on and on. We saw this in the war in Iraq. The United States intervention is minimal. And most of all, we saw this in northern Syria where we have forgotten that it was people from the autonomous region of north and east Syria and the Egypt and the region and the Kurds who stood up to Islamic State, who stood up to Islamic State and lost at least thirty thousand young men and women who turned the war around regarding Islamic State, who saw Islamic State being expelled from Iraq and, and Syria. And what did the United States forces do? They left. They left these people to their own devices, although they'd promised to support them in the future. So why should the United States, whose primary interest is to protect its interest and protect its people, if push comes to shove, why would they continue to assist Australia in a proxy war with the Chinese? If push comes to shove, as we've seen in Iraq and Yemen and Afghanistan and Syria, what the United States and Northeast Syria, what the United States will do is it'll just pull out its troops because of 
major domestic concerns about the death toll among American troops. So it's a real issue. It's a significant issue. It's an important issue, which we should be addressing for the sake of our children and grandchildren and our friends. And we need voices, and that's what Alternative Radio is about. Now, you're not going to hear this particular these opinions on the government guild at ABC. You're not going to hear these opinions on the corporate-owned media, you know, who are fanning the anti-Chinese Communist Party uh, drum. But you will hear them on community radio. And that's why I've said community radio is important. Now, the other thing I'm interested in, and this will be the last topic for this uh, truncated, well, not truncated, this uh, divided uh, program, pre-recorded program, is public interest before corporate interests. Now, we've been trying for a number of years to be registered as a federal political party, and now we're trying to be registered as a state-based political party in Victoria. And to do that, we need members. And it's been a very difficult struggle to get people to join. Well, there's no cost for joining. And for a variety of reasons. And the main reason is people think you cannot fight City Hall. You cannot change things. There is no point. And we seem to have this defeatist attitude in Australia today that change is not possible. The forces against us are too great. And whether a Labor federal government has been elected or not, and whether most states, West Australia, South Australia, Northern Territory, which is a territory, you know, Queensland, Victoria, have Labor governments, and the New South Wales will most likely have a Labor government in a few months, and Tasmania will continue to have a Liberal government. The fact is, the fact is that reform is not on the agenda of any of these political parties, any of these governments. It is not on their agenda. Their agenda is coexistence and survival. Coexistence with the corporate sector and survival so they can win another election for the sake of winning elections. So those of you who believe there's going to be this huge reform agenda, as we saw during the Whitlam-led Labor government, you won't. Because the only way the Labor Party was elected was by having a small target. They learnt from three years ago when they had a few mild reforms like negative gearing, franking credits and, hey, presto, before you knew it, people thought they were going to lose their pensions, believe it or not. The list goes on and on. So reform is difficult while people think that you can't change anything. Obviously, you can change things and people can continue to change things. Now, if you've got a laptop, open it. Go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. That's public interest before corporate interest. Go to pipsy.net and you can join via laptop. It doesn't take much. You can join via laptop. Join today. If we get 500 members on the Victorian electoral roll in the next few months and we've got about 430, we can register as a Victorian-based political party. We can do that. If we get 1,500 members in the next few years, we can register as a federal party. But the key is we need to use every legal mechanism available to promote a reform agenda which is based on the decentralisation of power and the use of the Commonwealth for the common good, not for the creation 
of a class of investors and billionaires who basically take up much of the cake in this country. Now, there are many mechanisms by which you can do this. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. If you don't have a computer, we can send you out an application form to join public interest before corporate interest. You can get involved in your local community radio station. You can get involved in local action. But the important thing is don't get seduced by issue-orientated action. Capitalism can incorporate most issues, whether it's marriage equality, whether it's the need for a treaty with this country's First Nations people, whether it's the need to promote green capitalism as a solution to the climate emergency. The fact is that change does not come through issue-orientated struggle. Change may come for a limited section of the population for a limited amount of time, but important reforms only come by, through major structural change. And that means like me, people like you and me, talking about things. It's about like people like you and me discussing the situation. That is how things change in this country. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist Will this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. My name is Joseph Toscano. Next week, both the listeners in Community Radio 3CR and the rest of Australia will be both incorporated into one program. And hopefully, by the time I finish speaking to you, we will have raised the $15 necessary to help keep community radio station 3CR in Melbourne on air and to keep these broadcasts occurring via the community radio network. And our big thanks to all those people at the community radio network who have made it possible for the anarchist world this week to be heard across this country. 3CR, keep community strong. Did you know that you can pledge your support to 3CR Radiothon now and pay up later? Call the station during business hours on 9419 8377 and tell us what you'd like to donate and then pay your donation later. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep community strong. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction in the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the anarchist woolless week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse listen to analysis of local national international events listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else you've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.